Hello, I'm Angela Midgley, Research Staff Developer for the Academy and Making an Impact Lead. Welcome to the next Making an Impact Special for the University of Liverpool's Academy's Developing Practice podcast. In this episode, Matt Davis, Organisational Developer, and Alex Owen, Senior Academic Developer, had the opportunity to discuss the Sustainable Development Goals with Professor Dame Janet Beer, Vice-Chancellor, Nicola Davis, Director of Finance, Professor Dinah Birch, Pro-Vice-Chancellor for Cultural Engagement, and Professor Fiona Beveridge, Executive Pro-Vice-Chancellor, all at the University of Liverpool. We hope you enjoy. Well, colleagues, we're really pleased to be speaking to you today as one of our Making an Impact specials. Making an Impact is an annual series which aims to provide rich, varied and high quality development opportunities for our researchers, academics and research related professional services staff. And our theme for today is the sustainable development goals and the commitment the university has made towards achieving them by placing them at the heart of our decision making, our collaboration and our sharing of best practice. But before we get started, we'd really find it helpful if all of you could tell us personally why sustainable development is so important. So Janet, if we could start with you, please. Well, I think um, for, for all of us, one of the the things we recognize as a huge privilege about working in a university is we we can talk about um, really espousing trying to live by the sustainable development goals but we can also create a climate in which the research that will actually contribute to them can be fostered so it's it's not only as i said the fact that you can you can be, you can believe in something you can sign up to something but we are also in the amazingly privileged position of being able to do something about, um, you know, world work. You know, I'm very, very fond of saying, in fact, I'm a broken record on the subject of um, research knows no boundaries. Um, my goodness, have we seen that in terms of infectious disease, right? So worldwide research in terms of the way in which we respond to the pandemic, it couldn't be more important because, you know, borders are perme permeable and research into the most pressing questions of our age, uh, not least all those that lie at the heart of the sustain sustainable development goals is something that we can as an organization really make a difference to. Wonderful, how about yourself, Dinah? Well, thinking about the global impact of our research on issues around sustainability isn't something um, that that has, as it were, been a recent development in the light of the pandemic. We have been pondering the need for models, new models for delivering research and education, the themes, the content of our projects and programs to address challenges like, huge challenges, like climate change, biodiversity, food resilience and food security, a range of issues across all of the disciplines in which we teach and research. But of course the pandemic has, as, as Janet's just um, underlined, really added urgency to those programs of, of work and thinking. Um, we want to reconfigure a, a university fit for a new world because it will be a different world when we struggle through lockdown and the pandemic is at last. Um, behind us, if it ever is completely behind us. We want to work differently, we want to think differently. As individuals um, and as teams, it isn't 
simply something for government and institutions to address. It's something that is important and necessary for each and every one of us. It's a responsibility for us all. Wonderful. How about you, Fiona? So one of the most urgent challenges that we face now is how to help the Liverpool City region to get back on its feet after the pandemic. And as a civic university and a key anchor institution, there's a lot that we have to offer and need to offer in this next period. So one of the great things we have as a university is a convening power, the ability to bring people together to share ideas. And in this context, um, post-pandemic, to bring experts um, into the room very quickly when there's no time to review all the evidence, but some decisions have to be made very fast. So one of the things that we're able to do, for example, through the Heseltine Institute, is to prepare policy briefs for the city region and the city leaders to help them to think through the difficult choices and the options ahead of them. So just to give a couple of examples, we've produced one in the last week on public procurement and the way that the purchasing power of local government can be used to build a more sustainable future. So the question is how can key players build back better through their own purchasing power? And another um, policy brief which we produced just this week um, addresses the question of devolution and how it will have to evolve in the future to really give local leaders the powers that they need to produce sustainable options for the areas that they are responsible for. Great. And Nicola, yourself? Um, yeah, so we know this is a huge challenge um, for, well, for the planet generally. Um, and as well as us being really well positioned from a research perspective, uh, we're also a, a very large employer, um, which gives us our own carbon footprint to think about. Um, you know, we have over 6,000 staff traveling to and from campus. We do quite a lot of travel um, as an institution. So I think from that perspective, there's an awful lot we can do. Thinking about ourselves, you know, thinking about our own behaviors as a university. Um, a couple of areas that I think we can really uh, help our, our mission around sustainability is thinking about some of our policies and how that they may drive uh, different behaviours. Uh, we are looking at a, a travel policy, for example, um, bringing that in, which uh, could make a huge difference to how we, how we travel, how we think about travel. Um, I mean, I, I'm very keen that we almost move to thinking of travel as a last resort. Um, I think what we've seen as, as part of this pandemic is that, you know, we don't need to travel as much as we used to. Um, sometimes there is a need to travel and we know that, but certainly thinking of, of other means, um, I think is something that's really important and we could make a big difference there given the size of our workforce. Yeah, I mean, that's, travel's a really good example. I mean, just thinking about my own personal circumstances, um, I, I have in the past wondered about my own carbon footprint um, because I drive to a train station then catch a, a train uh, to campus and my only the only positive bit is my walk up Brownlow Hill and I, I have often thought about that in the past about what what effect that's having but today um, we're, we're talking specifically about the uh, the 2030 agenda for sustainable development that yeah. was and the associated goals that were adopted by all UN uh, member states um, so just for adding a bit of context, um, earlier this year, the university and I believe the Guild of Students um, both signed the accord committing to the, to the goals. Uh, 
And I guess uh, by signing that, we were formally recognising the crucial role um, that we as an institution have to play in attaining these goals. So Janet, can I just start by asking you to give us some insight into how these goals are now shaping our, our strategy and our values and ethics? Well, I'll hand to Fiona to talk a little bit more about the way in which the, the values and ethics articulate with the goals in our recent thinking. Um, but just to, to give you a bit of context, we decided as a senior team that this was the six months, i.e. starting in January, in which we would review strategy 2026, you know, four years in. Mm. It took us a year to consult on that, 2015 to 2016. We wanted it to be robust. We wanted it to be at a sufficiently high level to withstand the, the perturbations of, of the next decade, although, I think if we'd foreseen the next decade, <laughs> we possibly might have crawled under the bed and not come out, you know, yeah. in terms of Brexit, in terms of this, in terms of, you know, many, many other areas of, of turbulence. Um, so we, we wrote that strategy, we consulted widely, you know, we had um, three main pillars. And then when we came to review it, when we, we, um, we had a couple of days away together in January, you know, and, and all reread it, it was so obvious. We, we had missed completely the, the sustainability agenda from the narrative, from the language, you know, even, you know, from kind of subtextual representation. And, you know, it was astonishing to all of us how priorities have changed and especially how they've changed for our students. Yeah. I think it would be the number one thing on any young person's agenda you know, climate change, um, the way in which we look after the world, the way in which we try now to, to work and live in a different way. And, and it was, you know, it was a really kind of shocking moment when we saw that there was literally nothing in there. So we decided that we would weave it through in the rewrite. And, um, and so we've, we've tried to, to give it presence as well as um, an overt declaration. Uh, right at the front of the document that we will be working towards um, the sustainability goals, the sustainable development goals, but also, and um, Nicola can say some more about this piece, that we will work in partnership with the Liverpool City region, indeed nationally across the piece, in order to achieve carbon neutrality. And we had a lot of discussion about the date we should put on that, you know, whether we should go with the city region date, etc. And again, that's something that energizes our scientists. And I think that, you know, we can lead at the university um, a rapid acceleration of our research strengths in, in the development of the technologies um, that will tackle this challenge. Um, and we can also think about them, as Fiona's al already pointed out, in their societal context, in terms of our economy, in terms of our culture um, and you know every dimension of the way in which we we live our lives just turning to our research agenda before fiona adds something about values and ethics um, one particular issue that i think the pandemic has really underlined for us is the question of food systems food supply and food resilience we're all and i don't think this is just me. We're all thinking now more about what we eat, how we prepare it, where it comes from. 
And our scientists, along with scientists in, in other universities, have made it really very apparent in their um, analysis of the data around the pandemic that obesity, alongside age and other factors, is a really significant risk factor um, in terms of severer consequences of a COVID infection. And we all know that obesity is very strongly associated with measures of social deprivation. Um, we had already been looking at this through our um, relatively new Centre for Food Resilience and Supply, and we've, we've pulled together a project called I Know Food um, that looks at sustainable food systems and had already been developing really practical tools for farmers and producers, retailers, consumers to address questions around food, the sustainability of our food supply, the quality and the nutritional value of our food supply. And I think that's a really good example of um, research into sustainability that was already happening in the university that has now acquired a, a, a different sort of urgency in relation to our current circumstances. So thinking about our values and ethics, now, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Janet's right that when we went back and looked, environmental sustainability wasn't highlighted, neither was digital. Mm. And there's been a very fast switch around in digital. So, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, but I, I don't think it's that we weren't paying attention to those things. I, I think perhaps we just rather took for granted that those were things that as a university we were busy with and, and doing. And when we reviewed the sustainable development goals and mapped all of, our, all of our activities to the sustainable development goals, of course, we already do address many of those goals through our activities. So a lot of the sustainable development goals address issues of human capacity. And as an educational institution, that is what we do. We develop human capacity and students study with us both face-to-face -face and online right across the world, developing their capacity to resolve problems and develop solutions um, where they are um, in their working lives. So, you know, some things we are already doing and our research, as, as Dinah highlights, does address global problems already. But of course, you have a strategy for a reason. Um, it helps you to make choices, it helps you to decide what to invest in and what we've recognised is that we've not flagged enough to our own community, our students and our staff, our commitment to sustainability. What we've tried to do with our values and ethics is provide pointers to empower people really to develop in an organic way and in a strategic way the activities of the university to address some of the key challenges in the world. So sustainability is now in there and we will be galvanizing our efforts um, uh, in terms of our research on sustainability. We'll be thinking about how it becomes part of our education. And as Nicola has highlighted, we'll also be thinking about our own carbon footprint and how we address that in the future. Um, as a university, it's a difficult balance, I think. Um, quite a lot of our staff would like us to set a target date by which we become um, carbon neutral. But of course, 
if by investing more in a particular activity, you can really reduce somebody else's carbon footprint somewhere else in the world, then on balance, that might be for a university sometime the better thing to do than to not invest in that creation of knowledge at all. So we have to think these things through very carefully. And we're now, we're now doing that, I think, more systematically. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's right, Fiona. It's, um, it's, it's a challenge when you think about setting very specific targets, um, although it, it is something that we are wanting to do in our new revised strategy. Uh, is is to set ourselves targets um, in part because we think it does focus ourselves on you know what what we need to achieve ourselves to try and improve our our, our own efforts around our carbon footprint. Um, I mean, it's interesting what you were saying about the fact we have been doing a lot of work in this area, but we haven't really pulled it together. Um, was I took over recently as chair of the sustainability board for the university. Uh, and it, it was amazing to see some of the work that has been happening. You know, we've got seven working groups, all focused on different aspects. Um, the board is part of how we pull all that together. And myself personally, I was really impressed by the, the work that we've been doing. Um, and, and I think it's right that we hadn't quite perhaps made enough of it in terms of getting it out there, in terms of sharing it with, with our staff and students. So I think getting it in the strategy certainly helps that uh, an awful lot. Um, and as we develop our action plan as well towards heading towards carbon neutral, I think that will also help to start to, to share that with people. And then as we start to achieve those goals, be able to share those successes. So I think we will see quite a bit of activity uh, in this space, certainly over the next 12 months or so. But we also, have to, um, we also have to decide, don't we, where it begins and ends, because we can have a travel policy, but will it apply to students? Yeah. You know, mm. so so we can we can say, all right, staff really have to demonstrate that there is no alternative to to taking a plane to to that destination. But you know, what what if we start to ask our students to to let us know where they travel, where they go for their holidays, you know, how they consume food, energy, technology, etc. Um, you know, we have to be realistic about what we can manage. Um, but we also have to be aspirational. So it's, it's about getting that balance right. Mm -hmm. mm. One issue um, that has emerged from our recent rethink of, of who we are, what we're doing as a university, as, as we've all been hit by the pandemic, is that we've really been compelled to think about issues around sustainability from new angles, new perspectives. And for instance, a consequence of um, the, the current challenge, the sustainability of our connectivity. And Janet mentioned earlier how important the digital now is to how we deliver our teaching, how we connect, how we communicate with each other. But it's very apparent too that the university does have a contribution to make, a contribution that it can make to the cultural sustainability of our communities and we've been working um, very hard under that heading to provide um, for our staff and students but also for the wider community in the city in the region and indeed beyond a whole range of cultural activities to bring people together to remind people 
of the importance of arts and creativity in, in our shared lives. It's not quite how we usually think of sustainability, though of course it does have connections in making our digital world um, with, with the consequences for less travel, less energy consumption that we've been talking about. How to make it, as it were, real. But as we continue to do that, we are now beginning to realize, turn our attention to the fact that it isn't enough just to put, as it were, stuff online. So that, that our um, communities, staff, students, the, the, the regional communities, um, parents, homeschooling, simply come to us for content that they will find um, on our online hubs. So they will find that content. We also need to think of ways of taking people beyond that rather kind of passive relationship to find cultural and social activities that, that will facilitate their engagement and their participation. A more dynamic model, if you like, of, of social connectivity to get people, to put it simply, to get people to spend some time away from their screens we can prompt them to do that with activity that is on screens, prompting them, for instance, um, to musical activities or to creative writing, a whole range of activity that we have on offer. Because we do have to, and in many ways, for environmental reasons, want to put more material online. But we also have to bear in mind that it isn't necessarily healthy um, for our communities or indeed for us as individuals to live entirely online and on screen. Our communities, if they are to be sustainable, need different kinds of connection, um, different models for engagement. And we are thinking about those challenges too. So Dinah, as you've um, developed this model for kind of cultural engagement around the um, sustainability goals, I'm just reflecting on my own experience. I'm a chair of governors at a primary school and um, we use the sustainability goals to um, direct a lot of our conversations that we have at committee level and the children are involved with that and I have to say that they're the ones that challenge us to think about how we develop that offer um, in terms of the school offer have you um, and I think just reflecting on what Janet was saying a little bit as well about the students have you brought in the student voice in terms of thinking around these goals and then how we develop our offer as a result I think that's a really good question Alex we yeah. have but I don't think we have yet done so actively enough to bring students into the conversation. I'm thinking here particularly um, around the cultural mm. offer. Uh, students mm -hmm. have been part of that. and yeah, just They're an intrinsic part of um, all Nicola's groups, aren't they? And yeah. the, the Guild have been very involved. And I, I yeah. think the Guild did work very productively with Nicola when we um, disinvested from, from fossil oh, yes. fuels. Yeah. So, you know, that was their kind of headline campaign, but you know, that one sounds grander than it actually is in terms of yeah. what we can actually do. Yes, we can do that. It, I think it is more symbolic than, than real in terms of the kind of graft that we've got to put into other activities as regards really significantly reducing um, the, uh, the negative impact of our activities. Yeah. 
But, but the Guild of Students, as you'll know, has won Green Guild Awards repeatedly yeah. um, nationally um, for many years and, and is a sector leader in the green activities um, that, it, that it does host and um, um, put on for, for students. One of the things that I always say to students when I meet them at the start of the year is, is just to remind them that students are one in 10 residents in the city. So what they do, how they live in the city, the example they set is really important. So it matters you know, whether they sort their recycling, it matters whether they cycle to campus or jump on a bus or, or whatever. Um, they are a huge part of the local community. And I think we can think really constructively about how we can build on that. You may have seen that the city um, mayor is calling for views at the moment about where the new pop-up cycle lanes should be put. Yeah. And we're engaging with that to try to make sure that we're opening up cycle opportunities for our university community, including our students. And we will have to think um, re really creatively and, and quickly um, about how, how we respond in this new environment to try to ensure that our students and our staff are part of the solution and not part of the problem within Liverpool. Yeah. It's also going to be quite difficult in a very challenging financial environment because these things tend not to be cost neutral. It's, it's often much more expensive to, to behave ethically and, and sometimes things that you, you might imagine are going to save you money. It, it's actually the opposite in terms of making sure that you can, you can mitigate the negative effects of decisions taken on perfectly valid environmental grounds and um, you know Nicola is going to have to keep us all in check whilst trying to move towards um, the, the ambitions that we have in in the area of the SDGs. Yeah I think that's right I mean it, it's true it's been really interesting actually though looking at some of the areas where we want to look to make savings actually there is a carbon saving as well as a cash saving so yeah. It sort of works hand in hand. So in, in those areas, if we can reduce our carbon as we save some money, then, you know, hopefully we can then identify some resources to invest where we need to, where, where um, it might make a difference to put some investment in somewhere. So that there's a combination, isn't there, of either costing or saving, yeah. depending what we're looking at. And one, of the, um, one of the things that I'm very fond of repeating to colleagues is that uh, before we disinvested, I was having a conversation with the chair of university council, i.e. the governing body at the University of Glasgow, and they were the first to disinvest. And he said that, it, again, it was an important symbolic moment for the university, but the work that they did demonstrated that they would contribute um, to um, the lessening of global warming much more profoundly by banning staff and students from bringing cars to campus mm. than by disinvestment. You know, the benefits yeah. were much greater uh, if they could reduce car use. Mm. And that would be a very unpopular thing at Liverpool. People love coming in in their cars. And what are we to think in the present crisis? Yeah. We're being told not to get on public transport, but to walk or cycle or travel on our own in cars. What's the first thing we did as a university in order to try and help our NHS colleagues? We made our car parks available to them so that they could drive in. What did the city region mayor do? He canceled the tolls. That's 300,000 pounds a week that the Liverpool city region isn't getting an income. And it's really bad news for the environment, but he was doing it for very good reasons yeah. in terms of making it easier 
for healthcare workers just to whiz under the tunnel and, and get into the car parks and get to work. So, you know, it's a, I'm sure that there are many colleagues who'd say we should just have unlimited, you know, car parking spaces all over the place, but you have to drive behaviors. That's what right. has made the biggest difference in terms of health outcomes over the course of my lifetime, banning smoking in public places. All right, people didn't like that, but it's made a huge difference. So we have to be quite, we have to be brave enough to take some really tough decisions. And they're not awful decisions, you know, we do have to balance priorities. But um, we do hope, of course, that the current crisis will eventually recede and we can step back, take a few deep breaths and take considered decisions. I mean, I think the use of private cars is a very good example of that. At the moment, public transport is a real challenge, but we do hope that in time that will be resolved. Yeah, I mean, we are also travelling less, aren't we? Which, yes, although yes. when we travel, we may need to use our cars, there's a lot less travel from a personal and a work perspective, which is helpful. Yeah. There's something you... about the car, isn't there? That's associated. I mean, I know it sounds a bit toad of toad hall, but there is something about getting out in the car that is associated with freedom. Yes, like, yeah. you know, part part. <laughs> yes. As a university, we've not been particularly strong on flexible working and working from home, mm. and we are drastically rethinking that now. Mm. So obviously, we know that people's home working is not necessarily ideal as it currently is but we can see the capacity to very, very um, significantly change our policies to enable people to work from home. And we need to, you know, we need to think through what that looks like um, in, in a very sort of well-supported and inclusive way so that people still feel part of the team that they, that they work with and fully included in decision-making and discussions and information about what's going on. It's been challenging switching to home working on a short-term basis, but we can see huge potential long-term for that to be part of the way in which we address the sustainability of the university. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I think that's a really important point. And even, even though people are at home juggling homeschooling and all of those challenges, even with that, some people are still noting that it's, it's still in some ways beneficial not to have the commute, even when they're juggling all yeah. these other issues. Yeah. Um, I suspect when the, or the number of people have said to me, you know, when my children go back to school, working from home will be even easier yeah. um, because yeah. I won't have all these challenges. So we're not yet in that sort of new yeah. normal phase, are we? I think once we get to that, it, it may become even, even better for yeah. people. I think that's right. Can I just change lanes ever so slightly and just talk a little bit about our research endeavours? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure our research will play a vital role in, in achieving the sustainable development goals. Um, has anyone got any examples of the work going on at the moment that they can share with us? Well, one very evident example, and again, something that, that we um, have been developing for um, um, years, but now is still more important, um, is our Stevenston Institute for Renewable Energy, which does really important work, um, for instance, around um, um, solar cells, solar energy materials, um, photovoltaics, because we're, we're at the moment are very engaged in responding to the pandemic, but we have not lost sight of consequences of climate change and ways in which we as an institution can mitigate 
those cons um, consequences. And indeed, they're not entirely separate. So I do think that that's um, a really important example of how the work that we are doing in university can contribute to addressing that major global challenge, um, energy supply. And of course there are, we're thinking at the moment, of course we're all thinking um, about health and about public health. Um, and we've talked a good deal about transport and reducing the use of private cars, but it's worth remembering that air pollution is such a major problem um, in terms of public health. Um, and we know this, one of the issues around the prevalence, for instance, of asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is the poor quality of our air in urban centres. Renewable energy is one of the ways in which we can tackle that challenge. So all of these issues are not separate, they're connected. Public health, renewable energy, environmental sustainability, um, they're part of as it were, a research network of challenge. But I would point to the Stevenson Institute as a really encouraging, inspiring example of what we as a university can do. That, that links into um, some work that we do in the international arena as regards yeah. household air pollution as well, yeah. because um, I think it's a, it's a massive problem in, in developing countries. Um, the, you know, they, they rely on solid fuel. Yeah. For, for cooking it's a massive health hazard yeah. and um i think i think it, you know the, the numbers are gobsmacking a third of the world's population you know have their air quality compromised simply yeah. because of the mode in which the, the family yeah. cooks its meals yeah. you know inefficient stoves heating and cooking and um one of the things i've had the privilege of looking at is um a project in in rural um rajasthan where where women um, a women-only collective were developing a solar-powered stove. Obviously, you could only use it during the day, but it certainly um, could, be, could be used to, to cook the midday meal. And it was outside, obviously, because it was a stove that needed to, to attract the sun's heat. And they did all the engineering, they did all the, the re-profiling of the different materials that they needed in order to create this stove. Um, but obviously the research was was uh, led elsewhere and, and brought to them. But the you know the sustainability goal that talks about access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, clean, and modern energy uh, for everyone really puts that household um, uh, air pollution on on the agenda. And I think that's being led by Professor Nigel Bruce, um, and he's um, uh, he's he's leading. Um, the work in order to reduce smoke, in order to um, to to get the the fuels cleaner, and also obviously to improve people's health outcomes. But all the disciplines across the university have something to say that's relevant to the environment and to the pursuit of sustainable development goals. So many of the sustainable development goals refer to, um, as, as I said before, human capabilities. And that, you know, that includes the level of education that people are able to achieve. It includes their ability to enter paid employment. And it also includes their health, and the capacity that their health gives them to, to work in sustainable ways. So all of our disciplines have ways to contribute to this. In humanities and social science, we have unique insights into 
what is needed to help people to change their behaviors. Many of the sustainability problems that we face are deeply built into the fabric of society and the way that the economy is organized. So some of the big questions, you know, what would it take to shift people's behavior? What would it take to encourage employers to work differently or to encourage societies to organize themselves in different ways? These are the subject that social science and humanities disciplines can bring real insight to bear on. And in the arts, you know, um, we have this huge ability to help people to imagine different futures, yeah. whether it's through writing or reading, um, you know, drama, poetry, all of these areas really help people to perhaps imagine and dream about different kinds of futures. And that's part and parcel of promoting change and assisting change. Yeah. Just thinking about the, um, the, the air pollution. Um, I mean, who else has been shocked at the, the drastic reduction in, in pollution yeah. as, since this pandemic has happened, you know, and all the research we've been doing on it, it it's such an, an important issue. And within a few weeks, it had this dramatic impact, you know. It's, and uh, it made the weather instantly better, did you? Well, it did, Janet. I mean, we haven't had any problems, apart from our plants wanting a bit of rain. Yeah. <laughs> what I find really strange is I can hear wildlife from exactly. my back garden. You really That's, can, yeah. yeah. I think that's an important consequence of one of the very few positive things, yeah. if that's the word I want, to have come out of the pandemic, that we are, I think, reconnected, many of us, perhaps not all, but many of us reconnected with the natural world around us. We notice, we've noticed the spring, you know, as, as the trees have unfolded and the flowers have emerged, and as you say, you can hear the birds sing simply because we've been as it were pinned down in our own place but I think it has been a real reminder of how necessary that is you know, for our mental health well-being that actually we can't just in the longer term dissociate ourselves from that world that, that now we feel closer to so I hope that when we do emerge from lockdown we won't forget all of those lessons. We are part of the natural environment. We have a responsibility um, to sustain its resources. And that will reward us if we fulfill those responsibilities. Do you slightly worry that we're, we're not going to remember enough? You know, mm, any yeah. woman who's had more than one child clearly has the capacity to, to forget things. So, you know, it's... Um, we do need, I think, to keep ourselves on point here because it, it would just be so easy to say, all right, well, you know, that's over. Let's go back. Um, and, you know, we're all busy. Who knew you could be so busy without leaving the house? But even with all that busyness, you know, I think Matt is right. You know, I've found more time to kind of stop and stare than I have in, you know, my whole life, I think, in terms of just two blackbirds that live outside my kitchen window. <laughs> yeah. Watching them hop about is completely wonderful. So. Yeah. At least one, yeah. thing, one thing that will, will be good. I'm taking my son out for lots of walks through woods and things and, and it's connected to him now. He, he's never really known that. He's been in the garden. He's, you know, he's, a, he's addicted to football, just like most 10-year-old boys are. But now he absolutely adores going for walks in the woods. So at least yeah. that, I suppose what I'm, what I'm teaching him through this time is yeah. that um, there's more to life than just the TV and yeah. the back garden. 
I think that's right. I think that's right, Matt. But I think our lives have all become smaller in some ways as well in terms of the connections with other people. Yeah. I think we've all thought a lot about what we need to do for mm. our own mental health and to support other people. But I don't think we understand yet. And I think we need to do a lot of work on what are the essential elements of human connection that we need to put back in and that we need to rebuild. And we can see that on a micro level very well. I think what we also need to think about is what's happening on a, on a global scale where we've seen um, a, a rise in racism, in xenophobia. Um, once another person becomes a threat, and at the moment every other person is a threat, it's very easy then to sink into that kind of defensive, hostile way of thinking. And we can see that playing out um, in, in many countries in um, racism, xenophobia, and potential conflict in the future as we try to re recover from this pandemic. So there are some very big challenges, I think, to really understand you know, how we regain our empathy, regain our humanity and our ability to understand people who are not like us, who we can't go for a walk in the woods with, um, who um, live very different lives. I think we've lost those kinds of connections with people further afield and it will be very difficult to, to build that back. I think I'm able to, to feel a good deal of empathy with, with people you know, whose lives have been turned upside down by this, you know, kind of everywhere in the world. One of the things that I, I find I'm doing is, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably soppy anyway, but I'm, I'm being moved to tears more often than, than usual, I think, by, you know, either people's heroic efforts to, you know, to survive or get things done in this, in this um, situation. But certainly, I mean, I was looking at uh, 50 photos um, taken and you know put into a kind of montage by the uh, director of the British Council in South Africa and they're, just, they're all they're 50 human moments and I snivelled my way through them you know so mm -hmm. I, 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 I don't know I mean maybe what maybe one of the things we can do is to say you don't have to travel to those places in order to really connect across but you know that we can we can make more efforts to to understand people's lives, you know, in other places in the world. Yeah, I think in some ways we're building perhaps slightly different um, connections and communities as well. I mean, I've noticed. I mean, I've always gone to the same local park, the water park near us. It's quite a big place. Um, but we've all we've started to recognise people. You know, we're all saying hello. We started chatting as we pass each other. We never used to do that, you know, a year ago, everyone just walked by and we might have said hello, it stopped there. Now people stop and have a bit of a chat at two metres, of course. Um, but, we, you know, we're, we're <laughs> on the other end about... of your broom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we take our tape measure with us just in case anyone gets too close. Um, but uh, chatting about how people are and people, people actually asking yeah. how you are and they seem to mean it. And we found ourselves asking others how they are. Um, and uh, it's been quite nice to have that bit of yeah. additional connection with communities that actually we've never really engaged with before. Yeah, I think you're right, Nicola. At the beginning of the pandemic, I took a risk and put little notes through everyone's door in our road just to say, if you want to be part of a WhatsApp group, let us know. And I've met people now who live on my road that yeah. I'd never even met before. We're doing each other's shopping. We're picking up each other's prescriptions. It's been lovely for that um, in terms of making those links, which I really should have made five years ago when I moved into my house, but I didn't. So I think there are those connections that are taking place, aren't there? 
Yeah, we've, absolutely. Now, we've got a neighbour we now refer to as Whistle Guy. And he comes out <laughs> to signal with his referee's whistle, the beginning of the clap. And <laughs> whistles again when we're allowed yeah. to adopt. So we were out there last week and we were just like, where's Whistle Guy? Yeah. <laughs> we really found ourselves getting to know the local dogs in the park and there's yes. no better way of connecting with their humans. Yes. But again, we shouldn't forget that there are people who are stuck in difficult circumstances, who can't get out, you know, families in high-rise apartments who don't have easy access. Um, to those facilities and they will be struck by the economic downturn really quite mm. severely and that too will be a challenge for us in terms of um, sustainable economic development it will hit young people and that's something that that is increasingly apparent um, from the analysis that's that's now beginning to emerge so there are positive things, and I really think there are, and we shouldn't lose sight of them. And as Janet said, it's very easy to forget them. Um, but there will also be challenges for us to address and face up to um, in terms of sustainability in all of its, its definitions. But I think we're up for it. I do think we are. <laughs> Brilliant. So I guess the COVID-19 pandemic has shown that we've still got progress to make in terms of the goals, but we've also seen how the whole university community has come together to help in any way possible. I was just wondering if you could all briefly summarise one thing that you've been really proud of in terms of the way our university has responded at this time. So um, Fiona, maybe if we start with you. So I'm really proud that we haven't disappeared from the city, um, even though we've all moved to working from home. So I heard this morning that um, our Culture Unconfined offerings last week had 18,000 different sign-ins from people of all different demographics and different audiences to the events that we put on. So there was music, poetry, film, interviews. And that's a huge level of connectivity to have been able to maintain and build in these difficult circumstances. So the university may be largely closed. We've, uh, obviously, we've still got some people working on campus, but we haven't gone away and we will be back occupying these spaces again. Yeah. Nicola? Uh, I guess I'm really proud of the way that our teams have, have really jumped to it. You know, they, mm. I mean, it, it must have been a huge challenge for some people to go from being in a community of work to being stuck at home with working on your kitchen table with families around you. And, um, and, and yet everybody has done their absolute best to cope with it uh, and have delivered under really challenging scenarios. I, I feel very proud of the way that, that everybody has, mm. has kind of pulled together. Um, as part of this pandemic under circumstances. I mean, who would have thought we could be all working from home within a week? Um, you know, the support from the IT team. Um, I think all of that has been absolutely amazing, really, and, and fabulous to have achieved in that short time frame. Diana, Janet, anything from you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that has been lovely for me, uh, personally, but, but also I've, you know, observed in others is that I've felt that I'm communicating directly with every member of staff in a way that perhaps I, I don't get a chance to do. Because um, if I sent a slightly soppy email every Friday, staff would be like, what? In, in normal times. Um, but, you know, sometimes I've got hard stuff to say, you know, when we're passing on information about what the financial challenges are going to be and that we need to think about doing things differently. And, 
um, and that you know it's not going to be plain sailing in the autumn when we when we get the students back on campus and you know everything kind of is in the too hard box at the moment but people are taking the time to write to me to say how important the the messages are how much they appreciate them so they're saying nice things to me but they're also saying nice things to each other and so I think this has brought out people's willingness and um, appetite for, you know, saying positive and encouraging and sweet things mm. to, you know, to their fellow humans that perhaps they wouldn't normally mm. make time to do. So just a little bit of an outbreak of kindness would be mm. one of the things that I really enjoy. I think that's right. And I too have been hugely proud of what Nicola has identified, the ways in which colleagues have risen to the challenge, but have also cared for each other where there have been difficult circumstances. Not everybody has found the going easy, obviously, that, 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 that people have looked out for each other, that now when you do get a standard workaday email, and we have plenty of those, there's almost always a line or two that, that's more than formula, saying, you know, how are you doing, and you know, how's your family, and if they know you've got a, a family challenge, then they will mention it um, and want to know how that's going. I think that, that this, although it's hardly, it's hardly a crisis to celebrate, but it has demonstrated humanity in the university and beyond that I, I don't think will disappear when we come through lockdown um, and begin to a new kind of life. So there are things that we can celebrate alongside all of the challenges that we know that we'll have to address. We do finish the podcast with, uh, with three or four home tips that the listeners could reflect on in terms of their own personal practice. So if you could give us one uh, thought or hint or tip each um, to reflect on, what would they be? I think we've all found ways to look after ourselves and to keep ourselves you know, grounded during this period of lockdown. And I think it's worth really reflecting on what that is and trying to carry it forward with you. So my tip would be more specific, perhaps. I'd like people to be more thoughtful about food, by which I don't just mean we should eat less, but that we should eat with more concern as to where our food's coming from, what we do with it, and how we can be more responsible um, in the way in which we approach our diet. Well, I would, early on in my, um, uh, my leadership career, shall we say, um, a retired vice-chancellor, and he'd been a serial vice-chancellor, said to me, um, this is the best job in the world. He said, um, smile when you get it and keep on smiling. And there have been things over the last few years that have been difficult to smile through. Um, but I think that building on what I said just now, we should make a resolution to be kinder to each other, and to look for the positives rather than the negatives in, in the things that, that we will need to do, which is, I think I've been trying to say that to colleagues, you know, think of the good things that can come out of this as well as the stuff that's going to be hard. Um, 
yeah so so my um my sort of main thing i guess from an in, from a personal perspective of although things have been really felt really busy and challenging at times i still feel that we have slowed down a little as part of all of this i guess because we're not rushing around we're certainly not planning our next holiday we're certainly not rushing out shopping and things so it, I've, I've really actually appreciated taking a bit more time you know thinking about things a bit more connecting a bit more with friends and family in a in perhaps a, a more sort of a more focused way rather than just in passing when rushing to the next thing so for me there's something about that thoughtfulness around what we're doing what we're spending our free time doing um, and I've really valued um, doing things slightly differently throughout this period yeah brilliant thank you very much thanks for your time okay cheers thanks, thanks a lot bye nice to thank see you, you. privilege it was to chat to um, four of our female leaders at the University of Liverpool. There's so much in that conversation that I want to go away and think properly about and um, start to apply to some of my practice. One of the key things that really stood out to me um, was what Janet um, alluded to throughout the chat and then spoke very clearly about at the end in terms of really wanting to see as a result of the situation that we're in at the moment um, to, to see this move of kindness come out of the pandemic. And she subsequently, she sent an email to the whole of the university. Um, and she said these words, she said, I would like to leave you with some words from one of the most memorable honorary degree acceptance speeches that I have ever heard, given by the physician and four minute miler, Roger Bannister. And he said to the graduating class, you will meet many people in your life who are more beautiful than you, who are cleverer than you but you need not meet anyone who is kinder than you. And I think what Janet was saying about actually seeing this wave of kindness come out of such an awful um, situation is something that's really, really important and something that we can all apply to our lives. Um, so that's something that I'm going to think about moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it really was um, a privilege to have that conversation. It was great to, to meet the four members of the senior leadership team and have just an open and honest conversation. Um, in particular, when we talked about those sustainable development goals, it really did get me thinking around um, my own carbon footprint and, and what that probably means for the future in terms of you know the, what the new normal will be. And one other thing, I really liked what Dinah was talking about um, when she was talking about the importance of the digital in COVID times and, and post-COVID times. Uh, to realise our sustainability agenda and goals. Uh, and, and, and this is more than just putting stuff online, as she said. It's about uh, embracing that dynamic model that prompts people to engage with activity that is offline. And I think that's really clever where you, you, know, you bring people online so they can find something, but then actually the, the thing that they're finding is offline. I think that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, there's lots in that conversation um, that you may want to go away and think about further. We've added some resources to the website um, in relation to sustainable development and some of the uh, documents and reports that our colleagues referenced. So you may want to look those up. You can find them um, on the podcast specific reading list, which is at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast so please do check those out 
And also please do let us know what you thought about those resources and also about the conversation itself. We love to hear back from you. You can tweet us at LiveUniAcademy and you can also tweet us directly at eLearnerMatt or at Alexandra Owen. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and if you've listened and enjoyed the podcast, please rate or even better review the show as it does help us get noticed and therefore obviously more people will find us as a result. Also, I know a lot of you have listened and have not yet subscribed. So hit that subscribe button now to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes. Bye for now.